This podcast is brought to you by Rupert Neve Designs. Chances are most of your favorite records from the last five decades were made using company founder Mr. Rupert Neve's legendary equipment, and Rupert Neve Designs carries on his legacy of classic sound for engineers, musicians, and listeners of today and beyond. Learn more at rupertneve.com. Hey, it's Larry Crane. Welcome to the Tape Op Podcast. I've been in studios and rooms all over the world. I've seen where the Beatles spent hours creating masterpieces. I've been in the room where Buddy Holly's hits were made. I've stood at the mics that Al Green used on so many songs. Many of these places have something special going on. Maybe those creative vibes soaked into the walls, but almost all of them require the musicians to cart their instruments and gear in, as well as to spend some time sorting out and setting it up. And by virtue of the typical layout, many professional studios leave the musicians and engineers in isolation from each other, especially during overdub sessions. In contrast, Wilco's studio, The Loft, is a third floor warehouse practice space turned studio, where Jeff Tweedy and his band have created a musician's dream. Racks of drums and other instruments filled the space, with the control room area taking up the front part of the building. There's even a kitchen, dining room spot, a tech bench for repairs, and various little hideaways scattered all around the 5,000 square foot space. I recently had the chance to sit down and chat with Jeff Tweedy about his new memoir, Let's Go So We Can Get Back, a memoir of recording and discording with Wilco, etc., and his new solo album, Warm. Enjoy. We'll start with what happened to me yesterday, running into Jonathan mm-hmm. Pines. Yeah. And, and um, <clears throat> looking at the, he's like explained kind of how you had a, a place here for rehearsals and storing your gear mm-hmm. and all that. And so for the Mermaid, during the Mermaid Avenue sessions, he said the, he came in and set up a space to start working. Yeah, I think the, the plan at some point was to start taking, um, maybe we looked at it this way because Mermaid Avenue was like kind of an unplanned little uh, advance from a record label that we hadn't planned on or right. something like that. You yeah. know, like it's just this other side thing that totally. ended up being sort of legitimate. <laughs> and um, I think it was for Mermaid Avenue too. Okay, right. You know, because right. the first one had been pretty successful and. So I think that the, uh, I think that the general thought was, is that that would be good money well spent to like pr- uh, make a place for us to record ourselves. Yeah. And um, so we just did what we could with what we had financially, <laughs> and and at that time it was ADATs. I saw a photo yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yep, we're recording a VHS tape. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which Jay Bennett was really, really comfortable with because before he was in Wilco, he worked at a VCR repair shop. No way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he 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 felt like 
ADATs were the medium for him. You know, he was really yeah. excited about that. We we did get a tape machine also at some point. I I basically kind of bankrolled it with, with money that was coming in from my contracts and stuff right. like that. Um, but I had never had I never had much interest in in putting it together. I just wanted to have it be put together in a way that we could work, you know. <laughs> right, right. So uh, Jonathan and Jay, pretty much, right. and um, <clears throat> a couple other engineers in town probably weighed in too. Yeah. And and it was really prohibitively or pre- it was what's the word I'm looking for? Esoteric. No, it was it was. Uh, it was wired and set up in a way that prohibited almost anyone else using it. Right. I think. Idiosyncratic. It was idiosyncratic. <laughs> uh, ridiculously complex. Even even the order you were supposed right. to turn it on and like you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it was. Uh, I always thought that was sort of like job security. Like the guy Jay really wanted to be the guy that was engineering on stuff. And when we were up here. Yeah. Nobody else really could work with it, <laughs> but it was. Uh, but it became kind of the plan going forward, right. which was um, not to spend so much money going to other people's places, but to ba- basically use whatever advances we were getting to upgrade what we were able to use, right? And and then have something to show for it, you know, going forward, forward, right. and. Over time, it became it became this. Right, it's crazy. I mean, Jonathan told me yesterday about like he's like we had to build gobos and we had mm-hmm. to yeah. you know put put all the cables in and do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, from mm-hmm. you know like here's here's a room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, like it's like it. Yeah, it's basically grown out yeah. from you know a glorified uh, you know VCR. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, after that, you did the Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, Foxtrot in here, right? Um, was it, was it, what was the timeline on all that? Oh, it's blurry. Right? It is to me, <laughs> and I've been trying to figure it out. Um, <laughs> from that point on, almost everything that we've ever worked yeah. on, part of it has been uh, up here. Yeah. Um, uh I think we had upgraded to some tape, some ADATs. Yeah. Uh, by the time Yankee was being worked on, um, we tried to mix at CRC. Right. And then, uh, you know, we had transferred everything, all the ADATs to to reels. Oh wow! To two inch reels, right. <laughs> and went down there, and then um, <clears throat> didn't get much out of that. Yeah. And um, then I basically started working with Jim O'Rourke, right. just the two of us, at Soma at John McIntyre oh, right. Studio. Yeah, yeah. And then it, so then it, then it was reels going. Basically the same. It was the same machine Richard Swift had. Oh, funny. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> that I ended up buying, and then I ended up selling to him. Right. But we used that machine to go to Pro Tools. Right. And then we would mix to half inch. Yeah. And you know mix up until the chorus 
<laughs> wipe the board <laughs> mix yeah. and mix the chorus and then splice it in it's all tape edit so you could right. never reconstruct yankee hotel foxtrot very very near impossible <laughs> it, no it literally would be impossible i don't even yeah. nobody even knows where all of the different pieces are right yeah holy christ yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean that was difficult in the way i think i mean it's famously documented as well parts little bits of that but mm -hmm. um you know, there was just a lot of creativity, a lot of ideas being thrown at it. Mm -hmm. Well, the part you that's know. not in the movie at all, actually, <laughs> is the part where we were at Soma. Almost right. none of that, you know, where we were kind of like, you know, basically ripped the everything back down right. to the, you know, the, the skeleton and kind of started reconfiguring it. Right. Because um, I think by that time, Sam Jones had run out of money, you know, like mm -hmm. in, for his film. Right. <laughs> he only had a little bit of, he had to kind of like prioritize and he wanted to wrap it up in oh, some man. other fashion. So he just didn't come back out to film any of it. Right. That. You mentioned that, a bit of that in your book, too, mm -hmm. about about the, you know, how skewed that can, it mm -hmm. does come off. I never watched this movie until like mm -hmm. two weeks ago. Oh, wow. I was, Good for I, you. Because I knew it was about people <laughs> in the studio and there were arguments. And I was like, I don't know if I want to see this. I mean, yeah, I, I, I've lived this. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I live this every day. Yeah, I was like, oh, God. And, and I watched it. And and there's some nice, there's some awesome footage with Spencer and Sammy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, you know, the studio stuff is like, I mean, part of it for me is like, it's, yeah, I think you mentioned in the book too. As soon as that camera's rolling, you know you're being documented. It's not mm -hmm. fly on a wall, right? And and it's like it's also it feels very disruptive when there's people shooting film or video mm -hmm. during a session, right? I feel like I feel like well, the, whatever the most one of the most famous scenes, if there's if you can call it that, <laughs> is the argument between Jay and I in the studio, and I don't yeah. think it would have gone on nearly as long. If the film, if the cameras weren't there, right. But that being said, that was also pretty typical of the types of arguments that that were happening at the right. time, you know. Right. So it caught some of that. Just like some of what was going on. Mm -hmm. I know it's kind of. I there's a. I watched a John Cale documentary once when Brian Eno's in the studio with them, and he mm -hmm. and they keep trying to sneak in with cameras, and Eno keeps going, no. Get yeah. out of here, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. And I just thought, yeah. I thought that was one of the the. I, I could see his point, you know. I don't know. For some reason, I, I a lot of the time I wasn't that disturbed by the cameras. I was, mm -hmm. um. I, I mean, I don't know if it looks like it in the movie, but I, like yeah. I kind of got used to like, oh, they're just there. They were doing a pretty good job of actually kind of being out of the way, out of the way. Um, I guess because the uh, the alternative to me was the experience we had had with Mermaid Avenue when Billy Bragg had brought a camera crew, right, and right. he had he had kind of funded this uh, this documentary himself uh, uh, that he was I guess he ended up selling to BBC or something I don't know it became, became Man in the Sand yeah and and those that camera crew and Billy's attitude towards it were much different he was like he was actually asking me to have arguments with him again <laughs> again for the camera <laughs> like mm. if we had gotten into a dispute about something he's like oh whoa, 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 hold on a second 
Get, can we get a camera in here? Holy shit! <laughs> so well, so these, so, so Sam Jones and his crew were like a breath of fresh air to me, and you know? yeah. I thought. <laughs> I, I know, and one thing I noticed in the book, you really kind of skipped through the mermaid stuff, and I, but I knew that. Mm-hmm. I guess I knew through Jonathan a little bit and such that those sessions were a little rough on you guys. Um, in certain ways. I don't know I how think, much you want to say. I, th- I think we were probably really uh, more hard-headed and arrogant than Billy. I think we. I think we were much more than Billy thought he was getting into. Ah, there you go. <laughs> you know, I in hindsight, to be fair, I think we were. We looked at ourselves as being a lot more than just a backing band mm-hmm. for him. Whether we deserved to have that, uh, <laughs> you know, sense of self or not, um, we did and. Right. Um, and, and, and Jay was very, very assertive about, um, wanting to mix stuff. And he was a huge Billy Bragg fan. So he felt like he wanted to mix Billy Bragg's material also, because it was kind of like a dream of his. Like, I think like a lot of people that are involved in recording, if they, they can like something, but they still think that they could have done a better job mixing it or... (laughs) Oh, yeah. like, you know, I like, know what you mean. Yeah, like a lot of people think that it's like it's kind of human nature. You kind of can't, yeah, uh, can't help it. But so there was some of that going on, mm-hmm. um, and I honestly I felt like I was kind of on the periphery of that. Although I did have some, you know, I was fairly disillusioned with some of the some of the yeah. overall practices versus yeah. the politics. Of the situation, oh, that's about as diplomatic as I can get. <laughs> yeah, hey, that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just—it seemed like a rough time, but mm-hmm. but some of the results are beautiful. And oh yeah, awesome as well. Of course, oh, super they? super yeah. proud of the the material for yeah. sure. I mean, also you—I think you mentioned in the book you were going through a time where you're trying to kind of get rid of the Americana tag or subvert it mm-hmm. to a degree, and then you're thrust into this thing, which Woody yeah. Guthrie. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Um, but in a way that kind of, I felt like, um, I felt like that was a blanket, uh, just affirmation. You can, you're allowed to do this for this, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, right, right. like, um, <clears throat> it felt like, it, I remember, just remember how easy the actual writing and recording felt, you know, like that just, it, um. Yeah. It is still to this day one of the things that I find the easiest of any task is to like take existing lyrics and put them to music. You know, I I love that process. Right. And, you know, a few years ago, I was, I I guess I was being considered to be a part of that Dylan project. The mm-hmm. you know, right. And um, so I had been, I sent like I don't know twelve or fourteen sets of lyrics from that project. Right, and I wrote and recorded a whole record over the weekend. You know, with that, it was, it was just so much. Right, you know, I just, I just can't help it. It's I not an exaggeration. <laughs> no, Were you playing on it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like yeah. I love, I love that. If, I, if, um, yeah, any opportunity I get to to do that, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, is it also because half the equation's already been solved? Like it's, <clears throat> I know you kind of tend to generally write lyrics. I think it's further just, down the process of. I think um, 
I think I I uh I then I tend to look at language as being kind of melodic or or musical. Yeah. And and I like reading lyrics and I've like always kind of liked reading lyrics. Mm-hmm. So um it just seems like second nature, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Plus with with Billy Bragg, uh, not Billy Bragg, with with Woody Guthrie yeah. and with Dylan to some extent um it's almost like doing a crossword puzzle with Woody Guthrie in particular because yeah. there he never wrote uh, an original melody intentionally right. you know he right. he was like he's like if I ever wrote an intention or a melody that was original it wasn't you know I didn't mean to right you know so you can kind of hear other songs in all of his lyrics you know right. it's a cotton eyed joe or it's a it's a carter <laughs> yeah. family song or it's this right so so it was hard to read those lyrics without some Getting musical information starting to come and, to you. Yeah, yeah. And and melody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll bet. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at them raw, you see that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was, like you said, that's his way. So it was just <laughs> kind of like, a, like oh, okay, well, that's yeah. already there. So <laughs> chord substitutions, let's like make it not exactly that. Right, right. <laughs> Try to add something to it. Mm-hmm. Um, with production and Wilco, I mean, how has that flowed over the years? I mean, you're you're the voice. Mm-hmm. You're generally you're the, generally in the center of all the songwriting and everything. Mm-hmm. And how do you make sure that there's always room for everything else to happen around you and the, and to see that the people bring stuff to the table? And um, I well since uh, since Sky Blue Sky, since mm-hmm. you know the lineup of the band that um, formed after A Ghost Is Born. Yeah. Um it's it's kind of a miraculous group of of musical lifers, you know, mm-hmm. like that are all pretty tuned in to the the needs of a song, yeah. you know. So uh, on one hand, um you know, I'm kind of a I guess the overseer of a like of a of, I guess a vision for the record or you know overall sonic landscape or how it's gonna you know you know which songs to do and like put it all together but everybody's pretty sensitive to not stepping on the song and it's a six-piece band so (laughs) it can get very difficult for for everyone to find their way into a song and you know, uh, a lot of my songs are so simple. It's like definitely doesn't need, you know, too many pieces right. for it to, you know, I, I can play it with an acoustic guitar generally. And it's right. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's a song, <laughs> you know, um, but we managed to do it and and everybody's up for the challenge all the time. You know, it can it can get a little bit frustrating, but I guess the point I was trying to make is that it's um just such a great uh collective spirit to mm-hmm. the band over so many years that um it doesn't get contentious hardly ever it doesn't right. you know it's like you you know you, you took my part you took <laughs> right <laughs> it doesn't get to those I mean, ter- yeah, like, that territory like you're doling out favors or mm-hmm. or something <laughs> yeah i think you know everybody wants to get in there and be right. a part of it, and everybody throws stuff at it, but generally everyone's pretty pretty open and accepting to um, being 
uh, cleared out <laughs> if, it's necess- if, it, yeah. if it necessitates it. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be one of the things I've noticed, too, from this, in mm-hmm. this era or such, um, people can lay out. Mm-hmm. And there's not like a an ego situation or a you know, no, it's, a bummer. it's <laughs> there's not a lot of uh, insecurity. You know, like I think that um, those are that's when it, to me egos are fine. It's yeah. insecurity that's the problem, and, and an insecurity creates an ego that is needy, yeah. and and um, that's a problem in any dynamic probably um but you know nobody yeah everybody's comfortable laying out because they're not like you know thinking well if i don't get x amount of licks in on this record people are gonna think (laughs) i forgot how to to play yeah you know yeah Yeah, right (laughs) i don't think we don't look at it like there's a lot to prove you know (laughs) right you know (laughs) they'll be on stage with you they'll be okay (laughs) we'll all be on stage well everything's gonna sound yeah how do you i was like when i went and saw your show your your solo tour and and Mm -hmm. i listened to warm right after that oh yeah i got it (laughs) thank you spencer (laughs) how do you and then the the tweety album that you and spencer Mm -hmm. did how do you determine where a song's going to end up? Is there any, does it just kind of feel a certain way? Um, <clears throat> Whether it's going to be a solo song or a, or a Tweety song or a Wilco song? Um, it's a lot less uh, conscious than that. I think mm-hmm. it's a lot more uh, just kind of having faith in the process that, um, I don't know, Maybe maybe it's not very smart. Maybe it would be smart to like set aside uh, like certain songs for certain projects. Right. Or, um, but it's much more. I just don't. I don't. I kind of just don't believe that there are accidents. Um, and uh, so I just try and do the stuff that I'm most excited about working on. And when that's all finished, that's sure. a record. Whether it's you know, everybody in Wilco's here or just Spencer and I. Right. And um, over time, if you just keep working, the other other thing that happens is songs start to feel like they belong to each other. You know, right. You know, we right. listen to a bunch of material like the other night and like, it's like, oh, there's a there's kind of a rock record in here somewhere. <laughs> you know, it's not the record we're making right now, but there's... Right. You know, oh, this sounds like it belongs with this other song, and it didn't never occurred to me until the other night. It's right. Like, well, that there's almost enough material for this, this uh, sort of power pop record or something. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting revelation. Yeah. And you're currently working on a new Wilco Correct. record, I assume. Yeah. Um, and Mark said it was things were going pretty mm-hmm. expedient, yeah. according to him. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we it, on one hand it has to because you know we don't everybody's so active and so busy yeah. outside of the band that we, you know, it's hard to carve out a whole lot of time for us all to be in the same place. Right. So um, we've been hitting it pretty hard and yeah, it's been going, going very well. That's awesome. And you've yeah. worked with a lot of different engineers over the years too, and mm-hmm. in different places and current, but currently Tom's in here, Tom. Schick. I don't remember ever working with any other engineers other than Tom. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect answer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess I have 
worked with a fair amount, yeah. you know, but um, Tom and I are like pretty much like, um, I don't know, uh, starting to really complete each other's sentences. <laughs> you know, it's really to, to the point where it's, it's, it's kind of telepathic. Yeah. And we like just, that's what the, one of the reasons it was immediately like that. Right. Too, actually, you know, like maybe not the tele, the telepathy part, but the, the, um, just the speed, the general speed of how we work together, the like understanding that, I don't know, just working at the same pace, thinking at the same pace, (laughs) paying attention at the same pace, you know? Yeah. That's, um, that's just got to find your, your, your guy. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. I mean, when I first talked to Spencer, I said, Spencer, interview your dad. And he goes, Oh, you yeah. know, he's not real technical. And I go, no, 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 no. <laughs> About producing and, mm-hmm. and stuff. But I mean, I definitely, you know, would assume that you're in this position where you don't want to think about the exact nuts and bolts. You even kind of mentioned earlier about mm-hmm. setting this up. You're like, I don't yeah. want to plug things well, in or I, have to be responsible. I don't want to, um, I feel like when you touch a knob consciously, you're you become uh, less aware of the whole. You know, so if I touch a knob, all of a sudden I'm thinking about what this knob is doing, and and um, I find that to be really distracting. You know, yeah. like to what I feel like my role is is to kind of keep an eye on the song, like just like the the big picture, the like whatever. Um, the emotional content, right. not what the the you know, not what the you know, base EQ is <laughs> doing. You know, right? You know what I mean? Like oh, your yeah. your consciousness goes to that. You know, like it's like it's like you know your ears, your ears tune in to where you look too. You know, like right. And people don't realize that. You to know, their detriment with your tools. eyes actually. Yeah, <laughs> don't put it in front of you. You know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's a danger. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm always amazed when I hit the space bar and the band crowds in around the computer screen. I'm like, yeah. no, look at the, mo- listen to the monitor. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The audio. You're, yeah, you're <laughs> being distracted. Yeah. You're thinking about something else. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of dangerous. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I li- yeah, I like, I like not having that sensation where um, I'm drawn too, too deep inside of it. Right. By a knob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the details, mm-hmm. you know. What, I don't mind getting lost in the details sometimes because I think that, you know, that can be fun, but they're like, but, but, uh, but still at the once removed from mm-hmm. the actual physical tactile sensation of controlling it somehow, right. you know? Right. I mean, like the details of getting like a, a cool, wild sound for parts of a song or yeah. those kind of things, you mean, I assume. Yeah. Well, like I, you know, I feel like it also forces me to use language to explain to Tom what I want to hear. Right. You know, like, like I wish I could hear more of the fingers on yeah. this yeah. instrument, <laughs> you know, or, you know, I don't know. It just yeah. it allows you to stay a little bit more um, in an imagination world, you know, as opposed to like physics. Right. Like real, <laughs> real life physics. Yeah, and it is a lot of it, you know. But it's, I've, I always tell musicians I work with, like, don't, don't mm-hmm. give me numbers and, and don't 
Mm -hmm. Tell me which thing to plug in. Tell me how you want something to sound or feel. Because mm -hmm. I'm probably going to get more of an inspiration out of that for me. Mm -hmm. And I'll translate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, because mm -hmm. language can kind of, if someone yeah. says punch in and they mean overdub or mm -hmm. something, and it gets everyone confused. Right. You know? Yeah, the other thing uh, really worked hard to try and avoid is um, using other people's records as references. You know, like yes. saying, oh, like go, for, like more like a Fleetwood Mac thing, or you know, like like, um, yeah, it's hard sometimes because, especially a band like Wilco, we all have so many references that we share like a, a language like right. that. You know, like sure. we all kind of know what those things mean when you say, uh, you know, like a like a bird's ish twelve string or something. You know, like, <laughs> Certainly, like, you know. But, um, but when you force yourself to not do that, when you like, when you say, "I want to," I don't know. I just want it to sound more despondent, or you know, it's like like th yeah. that. Have that. Then you have to like think about it. You have to like go, "Whoa, how do yeah. I play more despondent?" You know? Yeah. Instead like, of saying "Big Star's third, you just say, <laughs> "How do you you know play play right. like you play like something just just awful just happened." You know? Right. <laughs> I mean, it could be overall things that you can mm -hmm. be like, maybe there's a needs a cool kind of dark string arrangement, mm -hmm. you know, but yeah. don't define it too hard. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, your head there, or mic the piano across. Yeah, the room, you just don't want to get you, know? you just don't want to get too on the nose for yeah. like and make it into pastiche, you know, like you know those. I always like try and remind myself that that's not what I, the, my favorite records were generally not doing. Yeah, that is the one thing I'm confident they weren't doing. <laughs> Holland Wolf was not saying make it sound like somebody else's record. It was like this miraculous thing that he could hear what he sounded like, you know. Right, right. Um, and 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 Big Star's third, they weren't saying. If anything, they were saying make it sound like the Beatles. Maybe I don't know, like you know, like. But they, or they were running away from that. Or they were running, yeah, yeah, getting further away from it. Or. Yeah, I mean, that's conquering a new yeah. thing. Yeah. It's always more interesting. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I mean it's like it's kind of the it's kind of the point. Yeah. Is like liberating yourself to not sound like something else. That's true. Mm. I mean that's like that opens up more doors and and I mean, as a musician and a writer probably it just feels good. Mm -hmm. If something doesn't you're kinda of doing your own thing. Mm -hmm. uh, with productions that you've done the last handful of years. A lot of stuff with Mavis Staples, mm -hmm. which must have been just a blast. Totally, <laughs> <laughs> she's she's you know incredible to get to hang around. Yeah, that's that's an amazing little run of records. I mean, how did that come about in the first place? Um, I always refer to it as kind of an arranged marriage. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like um, I think we were both being fed a, a, a fed a bill of goods. <laughs> like her manager was telling her that I really wanted to meet her and maybe try and work with her. Yeah. And my manager was telling me, uh, Mavis really wants to meet you and maybe wants to work with you. You know, I think neither we of you really knew. I, I, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I was familiar with sure, Mavis yeah, yeah. and, you know, um, I don't think she was very familiar with me. Yeah. Um, but so they basically kind of set up a date, you know, yeah. for me to go hang out and have some lunch and on the south side and <laughs> but um 
Initially, I thought I was just getting together with her to suggest some material for a record right. and potentially write a song for her. Mm -hmm. or, and so after that first meeting, I um, invited her up to the loft yeah. and I played her a bunch of um, old gospel 78s and stuff like that that I thought she could really make her own right and they were happened to be a lot of songs that her that pops used to play oh wow so she yeah. really kind of you know kind of fell in love you know just had a, such a great time and yeah. felt like we were on the same wavelength yeah and then that just kind of you know seamlessly rolled into working on a record you know just yeah. started started working on it when you're doing all all of that stuff here mm-hmm Working on that, mm -hmm. and what? And then how did you go about putting around a crew of musicians for that? Well, initially, <clears throat> um, I'd seen her play with her current band, mm -hmm. and I loved on the on the first record. I I loved the idea of getting them in the studio. They yeah. hadn't been in the studio with her, uh, yeah, and they were like raw compared mm -hmm. to um, a lot of artists from her era. As they, right. you know, as they as they get older, their um, their bands tend to get older and more more conservative, and right. and she kind of she shed that band. She did have that band yeah. at one time, <laughs> and and kind of ended up with this you know fiery little blues trio. Oh, nice. And um, so that that was the first record. The next record, we had done some promotional things together just acoustic guitar and the two of us singing. Right. And she wanted to make a record like that. And, yeah. and so this next record started like that. And then Spencer started coming by after school <laughs> and putting drums on things. That's and awesome. Mavis really loved it and loved the idea of there being like a family element, like her family. I was going to say, <laughs> how was she brought up in this? Yeah. yeah. So, wow. um, so that ended up just being the way that record was put together. Yeah. And then we got to do the Pops one because right. she felt good about how things had gone, like working up here. Right. And then... Um, and that was taking older uh, unfinished studio sessions, right? Yeah. And then rebuilt and built. Well, they songs. were finished. It okay. was just like you... Um, they were... Uh, they were really hard to listen to. <laughs> you know, a lot of... It was like kind of... Once we had the master tapes and the yeah. individual tracks, it was it was kind of unbelievable some of the stuff that was put around these guitars. Well, there were some mixes that we heard initially that didn't even have Pop's guitar in the mix. So there was, yeah. I mean, so we just stripped everything <laughs> down to his vocal and his guitar right. on as many tracks as we could right? and just played with him like he was in the studio with us. So it was like right. kind of amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> God. Yeah. And, you know, one of the nice things about having so much tremolo <laughs> on your guitar is that it, it kind of creates almost like a little click track. I was going to say, it's a rhythm. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you hear that on his playing, yeah, the yeah. single note mm -hmm. parts and everything. It's very distinctive. So so it's, it's pretty loose, but it feels yeah. really good. And then the last record was, I just had an idea um, that... Uh, I pitched to Mavis mm -hmm. about making a record where she comments a little bit more on what's happening now. And, and, and um, she was really into the idea. We talked about some different topics we wanted to cover. And 
and I, I wrote all of the songs in a couple of weeks and we recorded it in like a couple wow. of weeks and it was just kind of all done really fast because there wasn't she worked so much she worked so hard it was hard to get much time out <laughs> yeah. of her you know yeah I mean that's amazing to meet someone who's who's mm. substantially older than you are mm. and still working uh, hard at music I don't yeah I think it keeps her young and I yeah. think she feels like you know it's what she does yeah she's been doing her whole life yeah <laughs> literally yeah Man. it's like I guess that's 12, 12 years old or something yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. I must really feel amazing to come back to something that's got so much to do with the history of music, and I mean, yeah, as an artist like that. No, it's it's a really crazy, unlikely turn of events for yeah. for I don't know, person from where I'm from. I think you know to have had this these types of connections. I think about sometimes you know, like with the Woody Guthrie stuff, right. and with um, <clears throat> with uh, you know, with Mavis and yeah, um, that's one of the things that makes me feel like uh, I'm a kind of an unwitting bridge between some different eras of music making. I mean, you could be at the point where someone starts out as a Wilco fan and then starts listening to Bob Dylan and the band. It's possible. It's possible. <laughs> yeah. And that's, yeah, you know. Um, which is... <laughs> <laughs> Which is how most people found Woody Guthrie is like you know you like, are. yeah was no no not from us no from Dylan yeah yeah from I Dylan know. yeah yeah exactly but yeah but now I mean California Stars is is maybe one of the top ten <laughs> most known Woody Guthrie lyrics right you know that's kind of a trip I never it, thought of that <laughs> yeah wouldn't wouldn't you think so I would I'm, think yeah yeah I, people might not even really know that's his. Yeah, no, that's 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 a shame. It took on its own <laughs> life. <laughs> it's crazy. On the other side of that, you produced that record for Low a while back mm -hmm. that I love. I love that record, and it I, didn't like get that people. They came in wanting to do a really acoustic right, record because right. they felt like they'd never really done that. Yeah, and um, and I got blamed for it. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, I got blamed that they had like made. Uh, you made them do that. Made them do that. You know, yeah. Like, what's always the producer's fault? Yeah. Yeah. But but I but I but every yeah. There's they're just so so good now. Like and they there's a flex. There's always been a flexibility mm -hmm. with them that that it could be done any way they choose. That they could take <clears> songs <throat> and performances, everything into any. It can be loud. It can be insanely quiet, as mm -hmm. they've done. Yeah, proven. No, know? it's just it's just you know it's just this intense um, musical yeah. thing that happens when they sing together, mm -hmm. and 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 you know I don't know they're like they're really up there in my in my opinion of, yeah. of like just. Um, totally legitimate like nobody else sounds like them nobody else you know like an american originals right i mean it's amazing to see like robert plant covering their songs mm -hmm. or something and you're like what oh good <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a it's a you know a lot of material that holds up for sure yeah it's always out of time too you know like you don't go not you don't really go back and find records of theirs and think that they have lost anything because they're <laughs> The, the production uh, right. like just sounds too much like the 90s or something right like that. <laughs> i mean is that something you 
do you feel like there was ever a time where any of your work got kind of like tainted by a production or recording styles? I think Summer Teeth is probably the closest of anything to having some sensation like that. Yeah. I have definitely things I wish I could could have done different on, I wish I had done different on some records. Right. Um, Like a drum sound, the overall drum sound on Wilco the album, I feel like is really kind of muscular and uncharacteristic. And, you know, (laughs) it's like, it's really weird. That was the decision being right. made at the time. Right. But I think we were playing so much. Was that the one TJ did with you? Or was that the, if that was a different? TJ worked on Sky Blue Sky. Oh, that's right. That's right. And yeah. he might have started on yeah. Loco the album, but he was kind of still recovering from his you know, know. period yeah. Yeah. of uh, incapacitation. But um, yeah. But I think we had just gotten used to the sound of like, really like i don't know pummeled live drums right you know and it was hard to hear them any yeah. other way yeah in the studio i don't really understand it but 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 summer <laughs> teeth definitely has some of the earmarks of this transitioning from right. uh from analog to like digital recording and it feels really different to me and, yeah. and coming after it came after being there right yeah, which is a much more spacious and open. It's almost it's all rough mixes too. It's all like cool. super. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it fucking works. <laughs> yeah, it was all they had mixed the whole record at, at Oceanway, and and when I was at this mastering <laughs> studio with Bob Ludwig, we mastered the whole record from those from the the the, the oh. real mixes, yeah. the finished mixes, and then the next day we had booked two days because it's a double record, and mm-hmm. came back the next day and said. Oh, I don't like this record as much as, really? as when I used to listen to it on on my cassettes and stuff. Yeah. And so Bob said, "Well, let me hear hear the mixes you like." And yeah. and he helped me pick all of the mixes from from cassettes and I never and knew this. Yeah. That's awesome. And he's I was, so nice. Yeah. He is a nice and guy. He agreed with me. He was like, "Well, he's like, well, these just feel feel better. They're not yeah. better sonically. They just feel better." You know? Yeah. So. That was a real, that was a real big moment for me, affirmation wise. You know, like to have him supportive of that decision because right. we'd spent a fair amount of money on those other mixes. <laughs> Ocean Way, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. There's mm. no way of getting out of there too yeah. cheap back in the day. But um, you know, like there's David. There's a couple David Kahn mixes on Summer Teeth, which he was like <laughs> mixing Sugar Ray and and yeah and. and stuff like that at the right. time so just, that makes it more contemporary sounding than anything else we ever did probably right. yeah that record always kind of i mean don't take this wrong in any mm-hmm. sense but it always kind of pushed me away from it mm-hmm. like sonically yeah and and i'd always be like why do i not why do i keep going into mm-hmm. being there or mm-hmm. or the records that followed you mm-hmm. know and, and that record always kind of just yeah kind of it sounds more pushy and abrasive or something in a yeah. weird way it's cold yeah, is it? It's weird. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know. I mean, I'll, yeah. I. I feel like. Um, I feel like the material on that rec- record has really continued to be something that feels like people want to hear when we right. play live. Right. You know, it's like. Um, so none of the songs have, or not very many of the songs have disappeared. Yeah. From yeah. our consciousness, which is more important to me, I guess. 
Yeah. You know? <laughs> as long as the songs stick around. Yeah. Although if people want to, you know, people seem to get excited when you start playing one. Right. You know, like that's, um, I love making that connection, you know, but I don't know how much of it is from the record anymore or if it's from Wilco being a live act for so long that people right. have maybe more familiar with the live version of any one of those songs. It <laughs> could be. Yeah. Could be. Do you feel like sometimes, I mean, you just mentioned a thing about like more rocking drums on, on the one record. Like, do you think that sometimes there's like a dichotomy between being in the studio and crafting a song and, and, and playing on a stage that mm. it's hard, like say it's easier to do something very gentle and, and, mm-hmm. and fragile yeah. in the studio. And then if you end up with a whole album of that, it's like, how are you going to tour this? Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> Which is exactly what I'm kind of getting at, I think, with, <laughs> with um, Wilco the album. I think yeah. there was way more pay, um, attention paid to that than I've ever done before or since. Yeah. That that we wanted more material to like uh, rock out. Yeah. Or yeah. Or or just that was like big enough to play in front of these crowds sizes that we were playing right. in front of, and because um, yeah, it does it does it is a real challenge right um we've gotten over it <laughs> we've gotten over it. you know like we like you know we have enough material <laughs> you know one of the ways we got over it was like with um star wars and schmilko we just put that it just stood behind it more mm-hmm. you know we just said we're with well, star wars when we toured star wars we played the whole record first every night yeah you know and just said this is our new record <laughs> want to hear anything else you're gonna have to wait around at least a half an hour you know but i think that really that really made a difference with how the material was received you know it's right. just like because we kind of believed in it more and um we didn't do the same thing with Smilko, but we definitely yeah. put a lot of it in the set and and really kind of stood by it more. Yeah, I mean, you see bands sometimes where, and you know, after I don't even know how many twenty five years mm-hmm. of Wilco now, you are kind of obligated to play like X amount of songs every mm-hmm. night mm-hmm. that always the same songs, right? Yeah. Well, not so much with Wilco because we, did, you know, I, I I talk about this in my solo set a lot of times, yeah. like that we. It's one of the benefits of not having any hits. There's hardly any songs that we have to play. Uh, the, the disadvantages are fairly obvious. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. But, you know, we, we do, uh, you know, requests off of our website. Yeah. And almost right. every night, every song that we've ever, we've ever recorded gets one vote. <laughs> it's kind of a good sign, though. It's a, it, it's. I mean, I always tell people that when I'm playing solo acoustic, they should leave after they hear the song that they wanted to hear, so I know when to stop. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> everyone's waiting. To, oh, now they played that one song I really wanted. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I don't know if we if there's. I mean, Jesus, etc. is really the only one that comes to mind as being. I mean, Impossible Germany is pretty pretty high up there in terms of feeling like everybody wants to hear it every right. night. But um, we can change things up pretty much. Yeah, that's good. Then and it, it, like it, the, today's audiences are really weird because you get criticized if you don't change the set every night, 
Um, and, because and you can find that online too. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> not because people are tired of seeing you play it every night, yeah. but because people are tired of reading the same set list at, in their in their homes. <laughs> you know, hmm. you know like, they're really not changing it up very much. Like, what's it to you? You're like yeah. you like you haven't been to any shows. Armchair critics. Yeah. Um, That's insane. But then if you change it and you're like you're not having as much fun because you're you know kind of playing a bunch of songs that you just crammed into the set and and tried to relearn at soundcheck you're yeah yeah then yeah. you're like you're i don't know you're spending too much energy thinking about i don't know not fucking up than just putting on a performance <laughs> yeah right mm -hmm. that's kind of terrifying you won't even really have a good judgment of how the show could have felt to yeah. the listener or yourself yeah. um one of the things i think it was a quote in the book was something about being a good listener makes for better music making. Mm -hmm. And I think that relates to a lot of us, like just being, I mean, you're a fan of music. Right. And you have an understanding of the history of it based on record collecting. And your book mm -hmm. was fantastic, talking about the local record store mm -hmm. and those things and going to see the bands when you were like a teenager yeah. and that stuff. And I think that's a really good lesson for anyone that wants to, to make this their art and craft and maybe their living or life. It's, it's it's true of anything. If you want to be if you want to be a poet, read poetry. <laughs> yeah. It's like that's like the 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 key thing to do. Right. Um, in fact, I think that if you want to write lyrics and you want to be a poet, you, you should read everything. You know, it's like, that's like yeah. one of the only professions where I feel like you should be a philosopher, you should be a <laughs> theologian, you should be, you know, like because. Yeah. That's all of the thought in the world you're drawing upon, and um, but music, yeah. I, as an autodidact, as a person that spent his whole life really much, much more capable of learning on self-directed mm -hmm. in a self-directed way, um, it's miraculous that all of this exists to listen to, yeah. you know, and that um, every every year as i get a little bit better at my instrument or a little bit better at understanding how records are put together right. i can hear deeper into records so i can revisit records that i feel like i've already taken a lot of inspiration from yeah or just every friday i listen to almost every record that comes out like because you can do it now you can right. i don't have to go buy them all i have you know <laughs> streaming services uh just kind of sample every fucking record that comes out every Friday. Yeah. When in history, that's just, a, it's incredible. I, kind of, I mean, yeah, you used to have to go down to the record store and then the, the cook, the clerk would go, you don't want to hear that. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> you don't want to hear Madonna. Like, <laughs> yeah, like even like, you know, modern country records. It's right. like, what is this all about? What is it like, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a strong advocate for that. Like probably the single most important thing that you have to, protect or, or or nurture in yourself is is you know this is enthusiasm for other people's work right you know even even work you don't like like <laughs> i go back and listen to so much stuff that i didn't like all the time just yeah. because i don't trust that i kind of have this underlying belief that if anybody took the time and effort to do this and they put so much passion and so much of themselves into making this thing right i should be able to uh, I should be able to unravel it in a way 
in my mind where I can appreciate it. Right. And I get frustrated when I just go, why? Right. <laughs> what <laughs> is this shit? You know? Right. Like, is it your and it's, it's, mental block? Yeah, exactly. I always to, blame myself. Yeah, I always yeah. think, you know, so many people love this, you know, so right. it's got to be me. Yeah. You know? I try to ease up on my opinions as I get older mm-hmm. and, and not just shoot my mouth off about things I don't like. Mm-hmm. Because if a lot of people do, there must be something they're getting from it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, yeah, exactly. Well, right? and and it's a hard lesson to uh, to learn for somebody that's so obsessed with music their whole life mm-hmm. that it's not the same thing for everybody. Yeah, you know, and it's and that there is a there's a lot of art, a lot of music, a lot of other movies, whatever that's not for you. Right. <laughs> it's right. not made for you. Yeah. You know. <laughs> it's totally fine. <laughs> but I still but I still feel compelled to find some uh some way into it for some reason. Yeah. Do you buy a lot of records and, and mm-hmm. collect a lot of stuff still? Yeah. Physical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not I mean, slowed down a little bit over the last few years. Um You used to get a huge box every week. Yeah. <laughs> you used to like order online from distributors and right. just like kind of get all the new most mostly indie labels and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um I'm doing a little bit less of that partially because um it seems like they're kind of running out of things to release. They kind of kind of keep re-releasing yeah. these archival things in yeah. different configurations. Have you and, noticed that? Yeah, I think I, I think that uh, Tommy by the Who is, yeah. keeps coming back out, and yeah. it's like the same material. And they they yeah. find one bonus track. Yeah, one more or, bonus, or track. even more esoteric things like you know, like uh, um, like like this this West Coast psychedelic kind of like a private press band, relatively clean rivers. Never no, heard of it. Okay, it's a you know, it's a record yeah. I really dig, but yeah. I think it's been released like four different times on four different little indie labels right. in the past like ten years or something. Jeez. So it's just like, yeah, you know, I've got that. <laughs> do you, do you, what do you think of remastering and re-releasing records in, in that respect? Like ten years, twenty years after they've come out, have you been involved in much of that with Wilco at this point? We did a couple with um, AM and being there, right. And um, I guess that there, I guess there might be some summer teeth one in the works. Yeah. I can't remember, <laughs> but the, the one that people keep asking for is Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Yeah. But um, I'm not ex- super excited about it. You know, for one, yeah. we we could remaster it, I suppose, but we could yeah. not remix it or right, anything like, like you that mentioned. <laughs> why, why would why would you want to i don't know yeah and most of the outtakes are probably already on alpha mike foxtrot yeah oh right yeah yeah um plus the weird thing is is that record still t- continues to sell probably right. better than almost our any records including our new records you right. know? so <laughs> like put out another record to compete with it I yeah guess. what's wrong with it <laughs> <laughs> Well, I know I work on the Elliot Smith archives, mm-hmm. you know, and and like we did uh, a version of Either Or last year, or mm-hmm. year before last, you know, like would, where we remastered. I really went in and we mm-hmm. did a different master of it, and we had a bonus disc, and mm-hmm. we did. I did worked on liner notes, and and it's like the whole time I was like, is this going to replace the mm-hmm. existing one, and am I going to get into trouble? 
<laughs> it was like, yeah. you know, like if it sounds slightly different, is someone going to be mad at me mm-hmm. for supervising this? Right. And they're like, no, no, the original version is going to stay in print as a single disc. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. Free reign. To- not going to pull a Lagrange. Yeah. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Oh, like, God. Boy, like, why can't I find the original drums? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which sound amazing. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. those. that's always a little bit terrifying is that, you know, any kind of revisiting supplants the original yeah. to some degree. And then we're like, then we got to go and like, okay, another 10 years, we're going to go back and do another mm-hmm. remaster where we go back to the one that everyone wanted. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it feels like um, if Wilco didn't feel as much like an ongoing effort and, and something that feels alive alive, and like we have, you know, we're excited about the music we're making today and we're, yeah. you know, pushing forward towards, you know, some sort of, you know, growth still. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe it would be more, more appealing to me to be involved in stuff like that, but I'm, I don't feel like that. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Like if if you if you felt like Wilco was disappearing from the collective consciousness, which maybe it is, but we're <laughs> still a thing that's doing it and having a good time doing it and have fans, whatever. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. then then maybe you like, hey, remember this? Like, yeah. Here's a way to remember it. Hey, like because you have an ad campaign <laughs> with a new record, but yeah. it's not a new record. It's your old record repackaged. <laughs> you know? Right. Remember the nineties? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean. Um, the label would be excited about it. Right. I think, I think none such would be excited right, about right. it. Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah. The audiobook. Uh, someone was just telling me that they loved oh, uh, listening to your book. It's one of the worst things that's ever happened to me. I was going to ask you. <laughs> where did you do that at? Here. Here? Yeah. So we had to stop every time a siren went by, because this isn't like a soundproof right. studio. <laughs> yeah. And 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 I was it was so demoralizing because um, I'm not a precise speaker for one. I, like I really slur a lot, and, right? And and my mid my lower midwestern tongue gets tripped up by even words I know what they are. Right. So I could, like I, I, what like Mark? Right. Yeah. yeah, Mark Matt Matt oh, Matt. Yeah. No, but I, I like I've been telling people that I I, I figured out that I can write at an eighth grade level, but I can only read at a fourth grade level yeah. <laughs> out loud. So, oh my so God. it took forever. And, How many you know, there was a period where, like, there was a day where I, I couldn't, I couldn't say Wilco. <laughs> Do you remember that, Mark? I was like, Wicklow. no, I was just like, Wilco. I couldn't get the L out. It was like, my mouth was just getting so tight. And I was like, Wil- Wilco. Wilco. Oh, man. Yeah. But um, the guy that, uh, I mean, there are people that do that. You know, that's their thing. Yeah. It's like direct audiobooks. Yeah. And the guy that we worked with, Scott, what's his name? What's his last name? Uh, anyway, we'll get it to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. We'll figure that out. <laughs> he was great. You yeah. know, he was, it was really fortunate that we, he, at one point where we he was talking about just Skyping in to like kind of help. Sure. Sherat. Sherat. He does a lot. He does a lot of books, especially like music books and things like that. Uh, he did right. the Beastie Boys book, audio book. Oh, wow. And 
Um, so he did a, you know, he did a great job. And how many, how long, how many days did it take? Four days. Yeah. Long days. Boy. After writing the book and and editing the book and then you got to speak the book. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, and understandably, I mean, it makes a huge difference in terms of people's interest in the audiobook. Uh, right for um to hear me read my own words right like it was kind of a no-brainer that you had to do that kind of a given yeah i ran ran into chet leister once and he goes oh i gotta go read mark the eels he wrote a book and then he made chet go read it oh (laughs) what yeah i don't (laughs) probably didn't do as well as it would have right yeah you know like johnny depp reads like Keith Richards book or something. Really? I think I think Keith Richards <laughs> reads like the first chapter or something and then it's taken over by Johnny Depp being Keith Richards or something. I've As, never heard that. Oh my god. Man. I haven't listened to it. I don't yeah. know. It could be totally fake. But anyway, um yeah, and I had agreed to do um I agreed to do my own book and because I like figured, oh, I I'll know how to do it. I got offered reading a chapter from Our Band Could Be Your Life. Oh, no. <laughs> and so I said, sure. Yeah. And I, but I hadn't read my own book yet. I hadn't learned what a fucking disaster it, was, <laughs> it is to be doing that. Oh, man. And so Whew. a couple of weeks after yeah. I finished reading, my feeling like, like light as a feather like this like this is yeah. you know this is behind me now this and then, like and then yeah that book came up and it was the Minutemen chapter. I figured that. And it was the worst kind of reading you can possibly do because half of the chapter is dialogue between D. Boone oh, and Mike right. Watt. So you have to come up with different voices for different. You're like, I was like, so I said to you later. Like, yeah. ah, blah, blah. you got like, like, ah. to talk like Watt. <laughs> How can you talk like Watt? Yeah. <laughs> Nels can talk like Watt. He probably can. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Find us online at tapebop.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time. Yeah.